Alright guys, please, please bear with me, okay? Es un buen tipo mi viejo Que anda solo y esperando Tiene la tristeza larga De tanto venir andando Yo lo miro desde lejos Pero somos tan distintos Es que creció con el siglo Con tranvía y vino tinto Viejo, mi querido viejo, ahora ya caminas lento, como perdonando el viento. Yo soy tu sangre, mi viejo, soy tu silencio y tu tiempo. Él tiene los ojos buenos y una figura pesada. La edad se le vino encima sin carnaval ni comparsa. Yo tengo los años nuevos y el hombre los años viejos El dolor lo lleva adentro Y tiene historia sin tiempo Viejo mi querido viejo Ahora ya caminas lento Como perdonando el viento Yo soy tu sangre, mi viejo Soy tu silencio y tu tiempo Yo soy tu sangre, mi viejo yo soy tu silencio y tu tiempo. Yo soy tu sangre, mi viejo. Well, <laughs> as you can tell, I was not born to be a singer. I'm not a performer. I have no talent whatsoever. But I've been thinking a lot about this song lately. Um... I was asked about an immigration story and uh, along the way of thinking about it, it made me recall the first time that we came to the U.S. and visiting my dad uh, who had been here for a while. And um, at one point we had to leave and uh, prior to this we hadn't seen him for a year, year and a half. Then we come and we spend this wonderful week with him just visiting this marvelous land 
the United States of America. And then he takes us back to Tijuana, and we get on this rickety old bus for a long-ass journey that's going to take three days to get us back to Mexico City, where we're originally from. And all I know is that I see him standing there with his usual relaxed post, trying not to cry. And my mom asking me not to cry, not to show that it's this is breaking my heart. That he's staying, we're leaving, and there's nothing we can do about that because it's just the way that it is. And who the hell knows when we're going to see him next. And we get on the bus, and I'm on the right-hand side of it, and I have the clear view of the guy. And as we're pulling out, I kid you fucking not, this is the song that's playing on the radio by an uh, author called Piero de Bendictis, I thought. It's a song from 1969 called Mi Viejo. And it, for those of you who don't know the Espanol, it basically talks about your old man. And I'll translate, and I'm not going to translate the whole thing, or who knows where we go from there, but it talks about how he's a good guy. That's the first line. My dad's a good guy. That's going about things slowly, and he's waiting. He's got this long sadness, because he's come and he's gone over the years. De tanto bendito andando. Y yo lo miro desde lejos. I look for to him from afar, but we're so different. That's the next line. Pero somos tan distintos. Es que creció con el siglo. He was from a different time, from a different century. It goes on, it goes on, and it basically talks about how this guy who you love and you care about, uh, who's so different from you, who's from a different time, uh, that you are carrying on his blood, that you are carrying on his sample, his example. Uh, because that's literally the last line of the song, I think, is that I'm, I am your blood dad. I'm going to carry this on, uh, and I know that you're moving slowly, but um, I'm going to keep on keep, keep on keeping on, right? And the song always struck me because it was so apropos for that departure. You're leaving. I'm, I'm sorry, we're leaving. You're staying here. I don't know when I'm going to see you next, but all I can tell you that, and this is me at, I don't know, maybe eight, seven, eight years old, just thinking, I don't worry, Dad, I'll take care of it at home. Mom doesn't have to worry about a thing. I'll take care of it. What the fuck's an eight-year-old going to do? But I literally thought that's my responsibility as a kid, is to make sure that she's all right and also to carry things on while you're not here. And you would make it think that my dad and I had this wonderful relationship. We, we didn't. I've really come to appreciate him in these last few years, but my dad and I had a terrible relationship. Um, I might have talked about this on the podcast before. If I have, I'm sorry. I tend to I'm getting to that age now where I'm retelling stories over and over again. But it was um, he wanted me to learn karate because he thought that I needed to learn self-defense. And uh, when I didn't do very well in, in the first uh, practice or whatever it's called, um, he, to, he and we were sparring with another with, with another kid and. I had the chicken pox, I didn't know at the time, so I was running at the meeting, and he takes me to, to this dojo in East Los Angeles, and I'm practicing uh, whatever they're trying to teach me, and this little girl, who obviously has more experience than I do, kind of just, you know, barrels over me, and, and she, she, she owns me, because A, she's pra she has practice, B, I'm not feeling well, and C, she's just good at what she does, 
And so I just keeled over and just say, please just leave me alone. I don't, I don't want to do this. And the entire time my dad is, I guess, seething because I'm doing so terrible. And the moment we walk out of the dojo, I remember it had rained a little bit. And so there was water on the ground. You know, it was late at night. So you have those pools of water that just um, are big, like mirrors. And there's this tailless shoe sore sign bouncing off the water. And I'm kind of looking down on the ground right next to the passenger door because he's just pissed off that I fucked up and I didn't keep up with anybody else. And he's yelling and he's snarking at me with that veracity that this little guy, because he wasn't very tall, but he was thick. The, the veracity of him just you know, digging into me and like how I've let him down and I'm such a pussy. Uh, Joto is the word that he would use. Uh, for not, how could I let a girl kick my ass like that? Didn't I have any sense? Didn't I have any pride? And then all of a sudden, like he typically would do with that big man paw of his, he just swiped like a grizzly bear right across my face. And I fell onto the ground crying and tired and sad that I had disappointed him. Um, and I fell onto my knees with trying to hold back the tears because that's the last thing you wanted to do in front of him was cry. You did not want to cry. As, as, a, as a boy, you didn't want to cry. My sisters, were, it was okay. But as a boy, you weren't allowed to show it. You weren't even allowed to whimper. Because that would just piss him off more. It, it said something off in him that said, you're, you're defeating, you're, you're, you're being defeated. So I sat while I was there on all fours, just looking at this pool of water. And thinking over how beautiful the Payless Shoe Source brand was. Because it was the neon was just crystal in the water. And he told me to get the fuck up and get in the car and drove home. And he gave me the silent treatment for a few days afterwards, I think. And the next day, the fever broke, really broke out. And, uh, and obviously, the chicken pox really started to take hold. And, and at this point, he realized, shit, he's, he was sick. He had to because my mom told him he, uh, that I was sick and had to stay home because I couldn't go with all these pockmarks all over the place. And even through that, he, he stayed silent. And uh, I remember maybe uh, several days after things started to break with the, with the illness that I had to go and apologize to him for letting him down and that, that I would apologize and I would do better at the dojo. But... He didn't want to hear it. He said, you know, uh, you, you, you're, you're a disappointment. We'll never go back there again. You're never going to uh, disappoint me like that again that way. So don't even worry about it. And um, I, hey, I got a white belt out of it. So that's something, right? I, I don't want to vilify the man. He was certainly flawed. He was born in 1935 in Mexico. He had to take care of himself. Uh, as a kid because his parents weren't around so he lived rough and tumble and living on the streets uh, he you know was a self-made man he became a police detective in Mexico in the 70s and 80s um, saw all sorts of shit um, it was very much about being a man's man I mean this guy 
worked out until he couldn't. I, one of the you know the visions that I always have of my dad was him just you know, doing weights at home like I do now. Um, you know, he was doing push-ups, and he wanted me to do push-ups, and physical labor was important. Um, and there were also moments of great levity in him. He had this roaring laugh, and I adore that about him. Or he was into politics. He used to listen to talk radio, uh, talk radio ad nauseum, and I would hate that channel. And it's interesting because now I listen to talk radio or Actually, I watch a lot of YouTube uh, talk on politics and what's going on in the world, and I'm extremely interested in that. And I wonder, is that because of his example, or is that because of the DNA in our family? But either way, he was always ranting and raving about something politics-wise. If he had had a podcast, or if the technology had been available, I'm sure that he would have, because he was constantly railing about politics in the U.S. and Mexico and how Mexico was crooked and Mexico and, and the America was the land of the free but he was also very scared of the land very scared of the culture and the changes in that sense he was a very 1935s uh, sort of uh, sort of person he was a jealous dude uh, my mom was about 18 years his junior and uh, he always felt that she was up to something. And she never was. It was a matter of fact, he, the, the one that had the majority of the affairs. When we first got here to the U.S., my mom found out that he had been having an affair with, with a woman for some time. Um, because he was charming as fuck. Uh, he could tell you stories. He could make you laugh. He was a handsome guy. He loved to, to, to dress. And the interesting thing is that I, in a lot of ways, I'm very similar. And it's part of the reason why I was always afraid of having children myself, because I thought, what if these propensities that he has, what if I have them, and it makes it so that I'm a terrible father who does the kind of crap that he does. And that prevented me for a long time, uh, a few years even after my wife asked uh, if I would consider having children. I wouldn't because I did not want to pass on the uh, that DNA onto a well those con, you know those circumstances to another generation. I wouldn't want my child to face that kind of struggle, to face that kind of fright of your own parent. But eventually, you get to a point where you realize I'm an adult now, and yes, there are some codes that have been written into me by either nature and nurture, but I also have the power of choice, which is interesting because I've been reading a lot about free will, and that's I will have that conversation later, but, later, but to a certain degree, you, we do have some choices that we make, I think, where we get to decide, no, I'm not going to do that. Uh, this person is giving me the ex perfect example of what not to do, so I'm going to go the opposite way. And if I do that long enough as a parent, then I won't fall into the same pitfalls. But at the same time, as you're going through this whole parenting gig, you realize that there was some method to his madness. Uh, my parents too. I mean, they, they raised college-educated children who are mindful of the law, who are respectful of a lot of things, who are obviously interested in all sorts of um, adventures and travel and camping and, and being good husbands and wives. My sisters, I'm including in that. 
Uh, we're raising a generation of scholars because my kids read everything. And all of that came from my dad and my mom. Their constant requirement that we better ourselves. Now, they did it with an iron fist. We're doing it a different way. But that's part of the DNA and that is part of the culture too that I am passing on. And I had to come to grips with the fact that I would get to make choices on how do I best deliver the the teachings that in 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 the example that they created for us and so when i hear songs like that it makes me think of it it, it puts his the adventures of being his child in in greater context and also it makes me think that maybe nature doesn't repeat itself but it rhymes and that I and that's not my original content by the uh, thought I've heard that from other people, but I've come to understand it more and more now. Is that I am not due to repeat the same patterns or the same thing that my father did, but because he's the example, I am probably going to rhyme. So I'm going to mimic or I'm going to follow a similar path because that's the example that I had. Does that make any sense? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Maybe you guys are experiencing that. Maybe you're not exactly your parent, but you're a facsimile of, of, your, of your parent. Not an exact copy, but one that has been run through the facts a few times over, and so you don't quite look the same. You don't look exactly the same, but you're part of that. You're sharper, or I'm sorry, you, you would be less sharper in this example of a fax. And uh, for some of you younger kids, a fax was a machine that we old people used to use back in the day to... Uh, transfer paperwork back and forth before email or text messaging. I also think of the example of my dad's work ethic. And my dad for a long time had a fantastic work ethic. Like I said, he was a bull moose is the way that I describe him. This was a guy that just had the power to fuel himself from job to job, from you know, shitty uh, shift to another shitty uh, shift, working at parking lots at his later years in life as a parking attendant at a, near LAX and dealing with that and then going to another job and then a long drive home, putting himself to bed and then repeating day after day after day after day. And eventually his body quit. Um, the diabetes took hold of him and it was very difficult for him to start, you know, working. But back then I used to think, well, my dad, my mom has to work harder now because my dad refuses to work. And what I've come to realize is that at this point, my dad was in his 70s and he was still trying to do well for his family and he just couldn't. And for a guy who prides himself to being so macho, to not be able to do that, that had to be crippling. But I was judging as a 20-year-old something who felt like he needed to protect his mom. And so seeing my dad just not work or, or, or look like he wasn't working because his body was failing him, I judged him too harshly. Um, there's another song that I like. It's, uh, it's Off He Goes, a uh, Pearl Jam song. Uh, it's from their uh, 1996 album, No Code. And it's called, well, I'm sorry, it's, it's Off He Goes. And I'll read you just some of the lyrics, and it's the one that gets me. Now, 
I've come to learn that Eddie Vedder actually meant this to be about a friend who comes and goes. But I always interpret it as, you know, what I saw in my parents. And it goes, you know, the lines that, you know, the, the, the lines that, I, that always get to me, it's actually at the very end. Um, he says, and now I rub my eyes. For he has returned. And I always think of that as he's coming back from one shift. So he's rubbing his eyes. He's tired. He's returning from that shift. The, from the first shift. Seems my preconceptions are what should have been born, burned. Which talks about me looking back at him and thinking, you know, he's not doing enough. For he still smiles and he's still strong. Nothing's changed but the surrounding bullshit that has grown. And now he's home, and we're laughing like we always did, my same old, same old friend. Until quarter ten, I saw the strain creep in. And I always think of my dad um, before he stopped working, but just before he got sick. And the moments that he would have to go. And that's the line that gets me. I saw the strain creep in. Like I felt it, I, I would see that in his face. Um, it would tighten, and the smile would fade, and he would start getting ready to go. Um, and it was a, uh, it's kind of sad to see. He seems distracted, and I know just what's going to happen next. Before his first step, he's off again, and that's I think the memory of my dad. The, the, the lasting memory of my dad is that he kept on leaving. He had to go. He, whether he was going to go do good things, he did for a long, long time, so he was going to go do shitty things. That's who he was going to be. The guy that, for one reason or another, whether he liked it or not, he was going to take off and we were going to be on our own. That is not the person that I want to be for my children. Now, they're going to look back and they're going to think, fuck, man, uh, my dad was always in our grill about shit. Maybe... But again, in that sense, I don't, I, I am not going to run my father if I can help it. I am going to be the person that's going to be there to deal with it, to deal with whatever it is that they need. You know, it's funny, my kid had a broken tooth yesterday. Um, actually, it's a tooth that's falling out, but it's breaking off in weird ways, and so it, it, it tore. At one point, and she had it, and all of a sudden the bleeding comes out. And I step in as dad. I'm like, okay, let's go. We're going to go deal with it. And we need to rinse, and we're going to look at this, and tooth fairy, and, you know, we'll, just, you know, we'll take care of that. And, and, like, that's my job, to be on, to, to take care of things. Or if somebody's, one of them is going to do this big speech at, you know, that the, the, because of their talents, they've, they, they've been asked to do a big speech. Well, I'm the one that's going to be there to write it, to copyright it, to practice it with them, to give them... Uh, tools of how do you talk in, in, in with the big crowds, and to give them that hug before and after they go on to tell them that I'm proud and I'm there. And sometimes I feel like I make it sound like my wife is not. Of course she is. She, you know, it, it's funny. It's one of those gut punches that I get that they long for mom's approval. Mom is CEO around here. She's the head cheese. Right? We all do this. I do this too. Like, 
we want to make sure that mom is happy and that she's taken care of because she's taking care of us. I mean, we're at a point in our relationship where she is the primary breadwinner and I'm the one at home. And yes, I sell real estate and I do everything that I do. But, you know, the markets go up and then down. And, and this year we're having to happen to be having a down market. So she's the one that's carrying that load. Her days are long. And so when she comes home, I want to make sure that things are prepared and ready and that as far as school stuff is covered and that the home front is taken care of and that food is ready to go and that I fight my demons on my own time so that she doesn't have to deal with them, although that is not always easy because I'm, I'm a troubled young person. <laughs> but, you know, I, I want to make sure that if my gig right now is to take care of things at home, then I want to make sure that I take care of them. And not because it's a duty thing. It's because I have this opportunity to do it. I don't know a lot of dads that do. I'll tell you what. One of the songs that I always thought was really cute back in the day was that um, Cats in the Cradle. Because yeah, I thought it was like a you know cute little song, you know, Cats in the Cradle and a Silver Spoon, right? And I thought, oh, that's cute. It's like a nursery rhyme, and it's it's adorable. And they, yeah, it's funny that they turned this into a song. And it wasn't until literally in my 30s, late 30s, actually, matter of fact, maybe perhaps before I was going to have my son, um, where I heard that on the radio, and I fucking had to pull over with fucking tears in my eyes. I'm like, holy fuck. You know, and it's it's that last little bit, you know, um, and when the cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon, little boy, and the man in the moon, when you coming home, son, I don't know when, we'll get together then, you know we'll have a good time then. Actually, that's not the line that I wanted. Um, I've long since retired, my son's moved away, I called him up just the other day, I'd like to see you if you don't mind. He said, I love to, Dad. If I could find the time, you see my new jobs have hassle and the kids have the flu, but it's sure nice talking to you, Dad. It's been sure nice talking to you. And as I hung up the phone, it occurred to me, he'd grown up to be just like me. My boy was just like me. And the cat's in the cradle on the silver spoon. And fucking A, I, like, no, nah, dude, that can't be me. If I'm going to do this fucking dad thing, I'm not going to be the absentee dad. And that was a struggle the first few years when I had kids because also the fucking market went down to shit and the real estate market after 2008 and it was about fucking keeping food on the table. My wife was a stay-at-home wife and uh, mom and, um, uh, you know, I was the primary breadwinner at that point and I had to make sure that things were covered at home. And now mind you that working in the real estate is never like, you know, going to a physical labor job when you're breaking your bones or doing tedious stuff like my dad did, you know, in that sense, he had a much better work ethic than I did. My job was more cerebral and management and, and, and budgeting and deal with the challenges of personalities and, and everything that goes along with that. I don't discount it. There's a great deal of uh, skill to what it is that I do, but it wasn't backbreaking. I mean, I pull power to the people that do that. I mean, today is July 6, 2018, and it's already, it's not even 10 o'clock, and I think it's already 90 degrees out there. And there's dudes out there right now who are working. For their families, mechanics, people that you know working the light poles, people that work in for the city, 
uh, truck drivers. They're out there dealing with this shit. They in and out. I'm in a relatively cool home, you know, podcasting to podcasting to you. And back in the day, back in '08, I was in a cool office, you know, pulling up listings and listening to agents' issues. That's so. I'm not discounting what I did or what I do. I'm just saying that either way, it had to be done back then to make sure that the house didn't fall apart. But that also meant that I wasn't home a great deal of the time. And for a few years there, you know, and, and, and also, again, context. It, like when I say I wasn't home all the time, it wasn't, like, you know, I, I grew, my work was a mile and a half away from home. So I could be home at any point. I just had to stay at the office to take care of things and pull super long hours. But there were times when I would come home and I had missed something, something important. And, you know, that sucked because I worried that I was becoming my dad. And I remember this one time, um, (laughs) my wife and I were fighting and we were arguing because she was going through the challenges of Oh, being the stay-at-home mom and with with little 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 kids and and how attached they are and she was just frustrated and I had spent a long time at the office and then I went out for drinks and got drunk probably and came home and the next day we're arguing and bitching and I'm like this is what my job is and this is what I have to do and it's like well this is what my fucking responsibilities are at home and you're not here and then she did that fucking thing she's like you're turning into your dad and I'm like fuck like that spear right in the gut you know and then you twist it <laughs> gosh darn it that was that was hard to hear but it got me to think i wouldn't stop working where i was for some time afterwards but i, but I think that sealed the deal that day that i was not going to do that i i would not rhyme with my father. I would certainly not copy him. So, with that being said, um, dads out there, um, are you the cats in the cradle? Are you the guy that leaves? Are you the guy, or tell me, if you do have to leave, how does that make you feel? If you're like me, it makes you feel like shit. But you know you have to. And I'd love to understand what goes through your head. Or at least commiserate with you whenever I've had to do it. And then if you don't have to leave but you still do, why do you do that? Not easy things to talk about, not easy things to answer. But I'm here for you if you want to hear it. You know, I, I always say, and everybody does this, I've been listening to a hundred podcasts by now from some really talented people, and, and I'm certainly not one of them, but from those that I respect um, that are relatively new to podcasting, you guys are always talking to subscribe, to subscribe, to subscribe. I'm not going to do that anymore. You know what? By, by this point in time, you guys kind of know what I talk about, you know how I in, what my interview style, you know what it is that I do and, 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 and you know what what my um, flavor is. So I hope that you pass you know more than anything, pass it on. let somebody else know that I'm here. Please though, I want to have the conversations and the ones that I've been having lately on the Twitter have been a lot of fun, have been really interesting and retro, you know, introspective and that made me think a lot. That's what I really want to have. So 
I'm on the Twitter at Hugo's Posts. I'm on the Instagram at Hugo Torres. Please reach out to me. Send me emails. Send me notes. I'm cool with that. Thank you, everyone. Peace out. Have a good weekend.